HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Food Scene is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart on the top right to donate. Do it now. You're listening to The Food Scene. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today on... It's not quite super summery hot, but it's hot enough and we're leading into mm-hmm. some mid-90 degree weather, so it's only appropriate to be thinking about ice cream or the adventures therewith. I think it's always appropriate to be it, thinking about ice cream, but... <laughs> I, I was actually just in Massachusetts and uh, a funny fact that I learned when I went to school there was I think there is more ice cream eating per capita in that state than any other one in the country, more specifically in the winter. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's something that is has always been such a pet peeve for me because I'm like I'm not asking you to eat it outside you don't have to like sit in the snow with it like you can eat ice cream indoors in the winter you can sit by a fire and eat it like it doesn't have to be so hot out it doesn't have to be only a summer food well we're going to talk about that fire eating ice cream situation in a second but first let me introduce Steph Ferrari of Ice Cream Adventures an amazing cookbook um you used to own Hey Rosie, which was right down the street from I me, did. too, a fantastic ice cream shop, and also senior editor of Life and Time, and we'll get to most of that later. But let's first start about these family farms in Connecticut. Not your own family, but places to go eat ice cream. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in Shelton, which is um, probably equidistant between Fairfield and, and New Haven. So, I mean, those those are the the towns that i refer to but um but very much these are they were farm towns like every town that i you know in in that vicinity always had a farm and my mom always used to take me to the farms to get ice cream um and i didn't realize that was unique or special really until i moved away from connecticut until you looked the cow in the face while (laughs) eating a cone and honestly i do you know that is one of my favorite it's it is to commune with the cows yeah. while, I'm, while I'm enjoying their product. Um, but, uh, but you know, I moved to California. I've lived in New York. I've lived in, you know, Tennessee. I've lived in all these places. And ice cream shops are so far removed from the farm that, you know, it was it was so unusual to me because I, I'm so used to sitting, like, among the cows eating ice cream. Um, and that was something that was so much fun for me growing yeah. up. I, I go to northern Michigan every summer, and there's this ice cream shop called Moomer's. 
Moomers, um, I love and it. And literally the pasture is outside, on, you know, right past the deck. Yep. And, yeah, it closes that cycle in, in that amazing way that you Definitely. think of ice cream as an agricultural product rather than a dessert. A hundred percent. We used to go to a dairy to eat farm. I mean, to eat farm. To, <laughs> we used to go to a dairy farm to eat ice cream, um, you know, rather than a shop, which is, you know, four walls and... You know, it's, look, could be a coffee shop, could be anything. Um, and ice cream shops are funny because you don't really, you know, you don't see much. You don't see equipment. You don't see anything like that. So, yeah, I like to I like to eat with the cows. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's not insulting to them. I don't know. To the cows themselves? Yes. I don't well, it's not like you're eating a live part of them. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It's like having tartare in front of a cow might be a little dicey, but yeah. I think ice cream is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I would agree. So w- what were your flavors back then? Um... Let's see. We did hundreds, actually, which is... Oh, I don't even mean it. Hey, oh, Rosie, oh, like, when saying, you were a child... Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. There's a different palette when you're youth versus now. Um, that is debatable, <laughs> uh, as I eat Sour Patch Kids for breakfast. Um, but uh, my favorite flavors growing up were definitely... I liked classics. I love mint chocolate chip. I love, you know, like the green stuff. Like, I want it full of, you know, dye. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I want, like, green dyed mint chip. Um, I loved anything with peanut butter. Um, my sister and I were like crazy peanut butter addicts. Um, so if it was peanut butter, I'm never, I've never been a huge chocolate fan. Like I'm not a chocolate ice cream person. There's not even a chocolate recipe in my book. Um, so yeah, I would say anything with peanut butter and I like fruit based flavors. So I really like like a raspberry, something with jam. Um, right now my favorite, my favorite ice cream at my favorite farm in Connecticut is raspberry chocolate chunk. And I get that with cow tracks, which has like, uh, you know, peanut butter and caramel. And it's kind of like my take on like a peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's at Ferris Acres in Connecticut and that's in Newtown, Connecticut. So see, I, I'm, I'm going to go not out on a limb, but ask you, are you a Lambic drinker? Oh, I am. a Sour beers are, you know, make up 90 percent of yeah. my cellar. But chocolate stouts, those kind of things. Um, yeah. So. I'm like a, I'm a booze drinker. Like I like boozy stuffs. Like when I drink whiskey or, you know, I, I drink less cocktails and more like straight booze. So I do like some of the beers that get really boozy because I treat them more like a cognac. Um, so I do like some of those like super high alcohol, like really booze forward stouts and stuff like that that are out there. So people probably wonder why, you know, we, we went from dessert to, you know, after meal drinks mm-hmm. or pre meal or during, but your your formative kind of f- flavor profile may have come from the craft brew industry. Definitely, like you know, one hundred and ten percent. I mean, it was um, heavily influential in how I looked at flavor. In fact, I think you know the way that I interpret flavor in, in general, um, whether it's food or dessert or anything. I, to me, it all came from from beer. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Patrick Rue and the brewery spelled B-R-U-E-R-Y. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the most respected, you know, breweries in the country, you know, in, in, is it in the OC? It is. It's in Orange County. Um, they started in Placentia, which is the worst name on earth for <laughs> any, <laughs> for a town or anything. Uh, but now they have also a, a barrel, uh, barrel house in Anaheim. Um, that is where, so I started working when I was living on the East coast, I started, I got a job sort of serendipitously at the ginger man in Connecticut, which they also have a location here in New York. And, uh, it's a beer, beer bar that is, you know, really formidable. Um, and I got cut my teeth there and got really kind of obsessive about beer and decided I wanted to go, um, and learn about it. So I packed up and moved to California because that's what you do. Um, when you want to learn about beer, especially at this time, that was like the epicenter of the beer business. So, um, I really stumbled into an amazing gig at the brewery. I was like the fourth or fifth employee there. So it was so new. And so, uh, we were such like a small scrappy team and, um, Patrick who founded the brewery is in my mind, one of the most genius, uh, flavor producers i, I don't know if that's, no, that's a, a good, if that's a real term no, but i, I mean, might have made it up I, th- I think it's appropriate 
kind of stopping there for a second, talking about taste limitations, mm-hmm. because that's what the brewery was able to do. And that's what you did at Hey Rosie and within this book is that, you know, there are preconceptions of, well, let's talk about the Great American Beer Festival. Right. There used to be X amount of flavor profiles that you could win a medal for, and now there's probably tenfold. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, piss yellow beer anymore. Right. Y- you can have this spectrum of delicious craft things. Definitely. And, you know, that is, that's what the craft beer industry has really, I think, it's just, it's just fun. I mean, these guys are just doing whatever. And Patrick, to me, blew my mind because I was, I was being introduced to some really cool beers, you know, from the Ginger Man and people were doing things and they were, you know, they were starting to talk about having like coriander and in, in beer and and things that had been there, but you know nobody was really talking about them. And I was certainly, you know, people were drinking Blue Moon and it was like changing the world. And then I get out to California and Patrick is making beers with Thai basil and chamomile and lavender, and I was just like, what is this guy doing? Um, and he just, you know, he changed my world in in terms of like how to how to it, that limitation. There, you know, he. He broke those limitations to me. Then at what point did you have enough to drink and wanted to move into ice cream? Oh, my God. Um, Well, there was never really enough to drink. (laughs) But um, I worked at the brewery for three three years there. And then I, you know, got kind of homesick and moved back to New York. And um, I continued to work for them here for a little while. Uh, I did some some sales stuff. I would do some some of that kind of um, host events here in New York. Um, but I knew, you know, the other thing that Patrick did for me and in, ter- in addition to inspiring me flavor wise was I, I really learned a lot about business, um, and you know, the small business industry. And I just like loved that idea. Um, and I knew I kind of wanted to do something for myself. And I, I really actually spent the majority of my time building my business plan, writing a business plan for a brewery. That was my plan was to open a brewery here in, in New York. And went back and forth on it a ton. And then one day I was just sort of like, I was like, there's something like sort of off here. Like, I know I want to do this. I'm just not sure. Maybe it's, maybe it's the actual product. So, um, I kind of went back to my, my roots, which is, you know, ice cream, which that, that was the thing that I grew up being really obsessed with. And I was like, maybe I can just repurpose this entire business model <laughs> and swap the product. Find out. and replace beer for ice exactly, cream. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's pretty much what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this 120 year old program at Penn State, this ice cream course where small businesses like yours have come out of. And I, I say small, but I also mean very large because mm-hmm. you got Ben and Jerry's, uh-huh. Jenny's Splendid. I mean, this is the place to go to learn about the base. Yeah, and really beyond. I mean, actually, the program—it's funny. It's evolved. I was actually—I met Jenny um, uh, Britton Bauer last week, and we were actually having this conversation because the program initially was developed really for major, massive companies that are, uh, you know, the Nestle's and the Unilever's that are making tons and tons of ice cream. Um, And in recent years, because of like the artisanal food movement and people really wanting to understand their crafts better, the year that I went, I mean, it was probably an equal split between, you know, like CEOs of giant conglomerate ice cream producers and like people like me who were like, Hey, I live in Brooklyn. I want to like, I want to make artisanal ice cream. And they were like, I don't know how to tailor this program for both of you. So, um, but it's held every year. It's legendary as are the temperatures. Um, it was negative nine degrees every day (laughs) that I was there and we're sitting indoors eating ice cream. So that should, that should be a testament to why there's no ice cream season. Yeah. Um, sitting by the fire. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it it did what I wanted it to in terms of, um, you know, when I was studying to become a cicerone for beer, I was learning about off flavors. I was learning about the things that could be wrong, the defects in, in beer and things like that. And it, this was very much that for ice cream. We were tasting bad ice cream. We were tasting flawed ice cream. We were understanding like texture and all the things that were, you know, that go into it. And that's really what I wanted was that foundation. Yeah. Throwing around terms like mouthfeel and meltdown. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, gummy and short and crumbly and all these things that, you know, could be wrong with ice cream now that, you know. Well, we're going to talk about what's right with ice cream and that metamorphosis, you know, from the first firm and frozen bites to that final one nearing a liquid state. You've been listening to the food scene. We'll be right back. 
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today with Steph Ferrari of Ice Cream Adventures, the book. I can see it being a movie, a video game. Comic book. That's how I originally envisioned yes. it. I was yeah. like, let's make a comic book. Yeah. Ice cream will be the character. It'll be a hero. We'll give it a cape. We even talked about anything comical about ice cream yet. We, we were talking about the off notes before, but... I mean, let's let's talk about the on notes. Mm. You know, w- what is so good, what is so tantalizing about that first bite to the last one? Everything. Everything. I mean, I love the whole process of eating ice cream. I mean, I know we only have, you know, a certain amount of time here. Otherwise, I could probably, <laughs> like, you know, wax poetic about ice cream for the next three hours. But I love... I love soft serve. I love hard ice cream. I love the different flavors. I mean, for me, you know, the stages of it from, like... The, when it's hard and frozen to when it's like just about a melty pool. I mean, I was the kid that was like, you know, making soup out of it. Yeah. Enjoying that just as much. So do you still strategize when you eat? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. How yeah. do you eat a cone? <sighs> Soft serve or hard ice cream? It's, you know. Let's, let's start with hard. Hard ice cream, it depends how many flavors, if I have more than one flavor. <laughs> if the flavor has mix-ins. I, like, just, I just realized I'm going down a wormhole. I was going to say, this is, this, in, this is talked about in the book a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if there's, if there's stuff in it, you know, I, I really try to give it a few minutes to warm up because I don't want to like be digging them out with my, you know, with my teeth. Yeah. I like to let them kind of naturally become available so, to me. <laughs> so is it even worth asking cone or cup? Because we went right in the cone. Yeah, actually. So I am hard ice cream, always cup. Soft ice cream, always cone. There it is. That's 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 a great rule to live by. That's that's my rule. So I mean in, in the book too, you know, you're you're split in the sections where you well first let's talk about these partners in cream. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing more than I love uh, than, than a couple of very special toppings. Mm-hmm. I used to and I'm not saying this in any perverted or innuendic way i used to love wet nuts <laughs> you can't say wet no. nuts without it sounding and i actually perverted. used to love wet nuts yeah. and now i am already blushing even thinking about <laughs> ordering it but since then i've i've developed a you know a taste for chocolate and a couple other things but i could not get over reading about malted salted toffee oh my gosh that stuff is just i mean that took over the ice cream for in, for some people. We had to start selling it, like, in, you know, on its own because it was just absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I love malt. Malt is, like, one of my favorite flavors. Oh, oh me too. I mean, and then later on in the book, you have an Oreo and Ovaltine, which is, you know, yep. kind of malty mm-hmm. as well. Yep, exactly. And, but that toffee is, uh, the, it's, I have to really say that the, um, who I collaborated with on that recipe, her name is Chrissy Ward. She, she perfected that. And it was, it, the salt is really what, yeah. what seals the deal. And I see that as a, a thread through a lot of your ice creams too. Mm. Salt, mm-hmm. you know, having, it's and savory as well, mm-hmm. which is, um, unlike a lot of other, you know, parlors that you see. And I, I know you were saying you're a peanut butter fanatic mm. and you have honey peanut butter sauce, but then there's mint cherry compote, lemon curd, honey mustard swirl, tomato caramel sauce, quick pickled berries, you start flooding into this zone of ice cream that I, I've never thought about exploring before. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened, for one of the like sort of epiphany moments that I had was um, my wife like is a pasta fanatic. Like She could never have ice cream again for the rest of her life, but you know, pasta, that's her thing. So we were eating... Um, Kacha, uh, it wasn't kacha pepper. It was a it was a pasta with a cream sauce of some kind. And um, basically, I'm talking to her. I'm, I'm like, "Why don't you like ice cream? You know, what's the, this cream sauce is basically ice cream. If I put this in an ice cream machine, you'd have you'd have like you know kacha pepe ice cream or whatever." And and I was like, "Oh, that's you know, we eat so many cream sauces, we never consider that. I mean, ice cream at its most basic, it's an emulsion. It's you know, sugar and milk and cream and um, so." It doesn't have to be sweet. You know, you can have all these different flavors with it and make really interesting things. And um, cream is just 
you know, it's just a vehicle. Yeah, and you use other cheeses as well. Feta, mm, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen goat cheese, yeah. I've seen cream cheeses in the book. But, you know, thinking along the lines of converting something that, you know, is, is in one genre, pasta, mm-hmm. um, and then turning it into ice cream, mm-hmm. do, do you kind of go through categories like, what snack can I make? What salad can I make? What sandwich can I make? Oh, like... Everything that I eat, I'm like, I bet this would be a good ice cream. I bet you could take, well, if you just isolated this flavor and use this, well, you can't use that, but we can substitute for this, you know, that's sort of like strategizing, like you said. Well, let's talk about shirazza. I'm not even going to say it again. It's such a hard word for me to say. It's that hot sauce. Popcorn. Rooster sauce. Ice cream. Rooster sauce, popcorn, ice cream. Yeah, so that was one of my first um, recipes for Hey Rosie. I am also an ice cream, I mean, a popcorn uh, aficionado, if I do say so myself. Um, And I spend a lot of time researching popcorn. And Anyway, I eat it every night before I go to sleep. It's like my midnight snack. And I love to put sriracha on it, but the sriracha will wet the popcorn, makes it soggy. So I I have a dehydrator at home, and I one night started messing with it, and I was dehydrating the sriracha so that I could make flakes out of it for my popcorn. And I had had popcorn ice cream before, and once I had these flakes, I was like, "Ah, I bet this is the this is a way to get this into ice cream without adding moisture to it." So I made a popcorn ice cream, and then I used those dehydrated sriracha flakes, and I mixed it in. And people just like my friends were just like, "What did you do?" And I, you know, a little bit of salt and this like really like, you know. Um, the corn flavor of the popcorn and the beauty is that when you eat something hot people are always like i'll drink milk well this kind of neutralizes the acid and the heat in the sriracha naturally because it's it's ice cream yeah so how often are you trying to put something in ice cream that shouldn't be that doesn't belong there yeah because every day i mean let's talk about alcohol i mean Mm. when you're trying to build an ice cream um too much air Mm -hmm. too much water and then certainly too much alcohol are all no-nos yeah yeah, and that is, well, there's a recipe in the book for, um, it's called, I call it, I think, India Pale Ice Cream. IPI. IPI, yeah. yeah. And that that speaks to that very much because a lot of people were making beer ice cream and they were like, putting beer in it, now you're adding moisture, okay? The, so we reduce the beer, we reduce it into a syrup, okay? Well, that kind of works, but sometimes it can get too sweet because now you have sugar in your ice cream, you have this like really syrupy, you know, sugary syrup. So I started to think about the components of what makes an IPA taste like an IPA. It's malt, it's hops, obviously. And hops are really, at the end of the day, it's like an, an herbal infusion. So rather than, de, you know, try to reduce a, an IPA down to a syrup, which would make like a pretty bitter syrup, honestly, and sweet, um, or try to add the beer to it directly, I just infuse the the cream with hops, sort of a dry hop method, which you know brewers do with with um, fresh hops, and then pulled some of the other you know cherry picked some of the other things from an IPA like uh, you know certain malts and um, there's a Belgian candy syrup in it, which is a um, a beer ingredient. So I went straight to the brewer's pantry rather than um, rather than trying to force the beer in and winding up with you know an uh you know inefficient product yeah yeah i mean let's talk about other pantries uh pretzel honey mustard which is an ice cream of yours that i mean that is the snack cabinet more than it is a pantry yeah yeah well i live in the snack cabinet so um i we did a bunch of like summery flavors once and I love like pretzels and honey mustard and honey mustard is, you know, it's got a sweetness and, and again, it sort of works without like spicy kick of mustard. And I had been infusing pretzels into ice cream and I loved that. And it just, you know, if you, if you let yourself not, you know, if you don't think so much about it, these things really work, you know, like they're flavors that you already know and love. It's just in a different way. It's just a different vehicle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so is an everything bagel shake. Yeah, that was another attempt for me to get my wife to eat more ice cream. <laughs> she loves those everything bagels. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make you... Is she like the only person in the world that you it has to be a ploy to get her to eat ice cream? Usually it's the other way around. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, in, you know, that we we honeymooned in Italy, which was like perfect because she had her pasta, I had my gelato, and we were just like, we were, that was fine. It was perfect. Absolute bliss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Sunday construction, mm. just because I feel like you, you certainly have this mind of building something in a specific way. Mm. And, you know, you, you get a Sunday and it, it definitely has its layers, mm-hmm. but there's got to be a methodology behind there. 
Oh, I'm yeah. This is this is a, another subject that I can get really um, geeky on. But you know, you have to you have to look at. You know, I work with a lot of chefs um, in writing and stuff like that, and the conversations are always the same. You want contrast, you want balance, you want acid, you want, you know, you want uh, sweetness, you want um, crunch and texture. And I have seen more sundaes that become a total mess of flavors and textures, and there's just like you know gloop at the bottom. And um, so I'm very careful about how to build those and what you're what you're really going for but you definitely have to have i love to have some like warm and cold hot fudge or whatever definitely textural contrast i think is so important and the selection of flavors you can't just slap a bunch of flavors together and you know it's these frozen yogurt bars vex me because you know you go there and i watch people i'm just like nothing none of that goes together what are you doing you can't put you know the sour patch kids with the you, you can know. be a curator but yeah oh i would love that like, like a concierge if or someone a, would pay me to do that i would be so happy yeah <laughs> because you can go astray mm-hmm. i mean even from someone who confesses their love for sour patch kids mm-hmm. it's doesn't go with everything no and i don't like them in ice cream either because you know they get really hard and you know certain things belong there and certain things don't and hey it's a matter of preference obviously yeah but. well i mean we're in prime ice cream season right now you know you hear you hear them mr softy truck and you run for it constantly what is your order there so mr softy actually catered my wedding <laughs> uh we skipped the wedding cake and had a mr softy truck instead my order at mr softy is vanilla ice cream cone with rainbow sprinkles done done yep easy peasy yep have you encountered one since being back in New York? Yesterday. <laughs> and I'm on the hunt today. Yeah, I love yeah. how you said that with such a straight face. Like, <laughs> yesterday, and that will not be the last yesterday time. Yesterday in Madison Square Park, I saw one again in Union Square. I was I was considering the second, but we did have dinner plans. So. Yeah. I mean, New York versus L.A. ice cream, there's good stuff in both places. There, So L.A. is just starting to, I in my mind, just starting to really get some, uh, some traction in ice cream. But it's different. There are a lot of imports. I mean, we have Salt and Straw out there now, which is portland brand we have jenny's which is really an ohio brand originally um but new place called magpies opened up recently that specializes in soft serve and i'm loving it see i i feel like you should put an ice cream map together oh that would be fun too because i'm sure you get people asking you all the time oh what kind should i make but also where should i go mm-hmm. eat ice cream i mean idyllically where within the country and within the world would you be sitting right now lapping up a cone ferris acres in connecticut yeah that is honestly my that's my favorite yeah Yeah. and you know i know recently you got to interview jenny of jenny splendid Mm -hmm. you work for this wonderful magazine life and time Mm -hmm. you know someone from the ice cream industry interviewing someone else from night what did you ask her what did you want to say through you know the platform of that magazine that you know people don't know about ice cream Honestly, my questions for her were a lot of business related stuff. I mean, there are there were things in opening an ice cream business that just blew my mind when I was like, oh, this is this is a really challenging product, you know, Um, and she's been such a trailblazer and so brilliant about how she handles the business. And um, but in my mind, I think Jenny, Jenny and Jenny's ice cream are they do such a phenomenal job of of producing flavors that are just so clean and evocative and really just if they say it tastes like fennel it tastes like like you're chewing on like it's delicious it's just the most pure um representation of whatever that is so i had a lot of geeky science questions about that too how, yeah. did, you, how did you get such intense fennel flavor in this <laughs> i mean is that what your ice cream is like are you looking for that pure form of something or are you looking for this rounder kind of conceptual theoretical flavor my like real interest when it comes to ice cream is trying to figure out how to make the cream really taste like something else because you can go the route of like here's a sweet cream base and let's put like a really wonderful cookie or toffee or whatever in it and we do that too and i did you know there's that in the book but i'm fascinated by how to make it really taste like something else entirely and uh you know that's another thing i think i really got in beer yeah well, I mean, how do you make an ice cream taste like salt and sand? Mm-hmm. And why would you want to eat a beach? That is one of my favorite flavors, to be honest with you. It was, I, it sounds crazy, but I love that like crunchy sand in my teeth after the day, a day at the beach. You know, you have that like salt in your, in your mouth from the, the water and you've got like some sand in your teeth and salt and brown sugar in, in ice cream and sort of folded really gently so that you don't 
mix in the sugar so it's still kind of crunchy with flaked sea salt in sweet cream like that to me is that was one of our best-selling flavors people were really surprised i think by the fact that they liked that textural element and i just loved it see screw fireplace i want to eat that ice cream on a beach yeah double up on the sand and yeah yeah salt. i i it, i will say it's it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you in. And, you know, I'm going out for ice cream after this, for sure. But everyone else should go out and check out Ice Cream Adventures, out now by Rodale. Steph Ferrari, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Big thank you to Whole Foods for sponsoring Cookies, the wonderful music at the top and mid part of this show, and David for engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Super summery hot, but it's hot enough, and we're leading into mm-hmm. some mid ninety degree weather. So it's only appropriate to be thinking about ice cream or the adventures therewith. I think it's always appropriate to be it, thinking about ice cream. But <laughs> I, I was actually just in Massachusetts, and uh, a funny fact that I learned when I went to school there was I think there is more ice cream eating per capita in that state than any other one in the country. More specifically, in the winter. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's something that. Is, has always been such a pet peeve for me because I'm like, I'm not asking you to eat it outside. You don't have to like sit in the snow with it. Like you can eat ice cream indoors in the winter. You can sit by a fire and eat it. Like it doesn't have to be so hot out. It doesn't have to be only a summer food. Well, we're going to talk about that fire eating ice cream situation yes. in a second. But first, let me introduce Steph Ferrari of Ice Cream Adventures, an amazing cookbook. Um, you used to own Hey Rosie, which was right down the street from I me, did. too. A fantastic ice cream shop. And also senior editor of Life and Time, and we'll get to most of that later. But let's first start about these family farms in Connecticut. Not your own family, but places to go eat ice cream. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in Shelton, which is um, a probably equidistant between Fairfield and, and New Haven. So, I mean, those those are the the towns that I refer to, but, um, but very much, these are, there were farm towns, like every town that I, you know, in, in that vicinity always had a farm. And my mom always used to take me to the farms to get ice cream. Um, and I didn't realize that was unique or special really until I moved away from Connecticut. Until you looked the cow in the yeah, face yeah. while <laughs> eating a cone. And honestly, I do, you know, that is one of my favorite th- It's It is to commune with the cows yeah. while, I'm, <laughs> while I'm enjoying their product. Um, but, uh, but you know, I moved to California. I've lived in New York. I've lived in, you know, Tennessee. I've lived in all these places. And ice cream shops are so far removed from the farm that, you know, it was it was so unusual to me because I, I'm so used to sitting, like, among the cows eating ice cream. Um, and that was something that was so much fun for me growing yeah. up. I, I go to northern Michigan every summer, and there's this ice cream shop called Moomers. Moomers, um, I love and it. And literally the pasture is outside, on, you know, right past the deck. Yep. And, yeah, it closes that cycle in, in that amazing way that you Definitely. think of ice cream as an agricultural product rather than a dessert. A hundred percent. We used to go to a dairy to eat farm. I mean, to eat farm. To, <laughs> we used to go to a dairy farm to eat ice cream, um, you know, rather than a shop, which is, you know, four walls and... You know, it's, look, could be a coffee shop, could be anything. Um, and ice cream shops are funny because you don't really, you know, you don't see much. You don't see equipment. You don't see anything like that. So, yeah, I like to I like to eat with the cows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not insulting to them. I don't know. To the cows themselves? Yes. I don't well, know. It's not like you're eating a live part of them. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It's like having tartare in front of a cow might be a little dicey, but yeah. I think ice cream is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I would agree. So w- what were your flavors back then? Um... Let's see. We did 
hundreds, actually, which is... Oh, I don't even mean that. Hey, oh, Rosie, oh, like, oh, when you were a child... Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. There's a different palette when you're a youth versus now. Um, that is debatable, <laughs> as I eat Sour Patch Kids for breakfast. Um, but uh, my favorite flavors growing up were definitely... I liked classics. I love mint chocolate chip. I love, you know, like the green stuff. Like, I want it full of, you know, dye. You know, yeah. <laughs> I want, like, green dyed mint chip. Um, I loved anything with peanut butter. Um, my sister and I were, like, crazy peanut butter addicts. Um, so if it was peanut butter. I'm never, I've never been a huge chocolate fan. Like, I'm not a chocolate ice cream person. There's not even a chocolate recipe in my book. Um, so, yeah, I would say anything with peanut butter. And I like fruit-based flavors. So I really like like a raspberry, something with jam. Um, right now, my favorite my favorite ice cream at my favorite farm in Connecticut is raspberry chocolate chunk, and I get that with cow tracks, which has like uh, you know peanut butter and caramel, and it's kind of like my take on like a peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, yeah, and it's at Ferris Acres in Connecticut, and that's in Newtown, Connecticut. So see, I, I'm I'm gonna go not out on a limb, but ask you: Are you a lambic drinker? Oh, I am a. Sour beers are, you know, make up ninety percent of yeah. my cellar. But chocolate stouts, those kind of things. Um, yeah. So, I'm like a, I'm a booze drinker. Like I like boozy stuffs. Like when I drink whiskey or, you know, I I drink less cocktails and more like straight booze. So I do like some of the beers that get really boozy because I treat them more like a cognac. Um. So I do like some of those like super high alcohol, like really booze forward stouts and stuff like that yeah. that are out there. So people probably wonder why, you know, we, we went from dessert to, you know, after meal drinks mm-hmm. or pre-meal or during. But your, your formative kind of flavor profile may have come from the craft brew industry. Definitely. Like, you know, 110%. I mean, it was... Um, heavily influential in how I looked at flavor. In fact, I think, you know, the way that I interpret flavor in in general, um, whether it's food or dessert or anything, to me, it all came from from beer. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Patrick Rue and the brewery spelled B-R-U-E-R-Y. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the most respected, you know, breweries in the country, you know, in, in, is it in the OC? It is. It's in Orange County. Um, they started in Placentia, which is the worst name on earth for <laughs> any, <laughs> for a town or anything. Um, but now they have also a, a barrel uh, barrel house in Anaheim. Um, that is where. So I started working when I was living on the East Coast. I start. I got a job sort of serendipitously at the Ginger Man in Connecticut, which they also have a location here in New York, and uh, it's a beer beer bar that is you know really formidable. Um, and I got cut my teeth there and got really kind of obsessive about beer and decided I wanted to go um, and learn about it. So I packed up and moved to California because that's what you do um, when you want to learn about beer, especially at this time. That was like the epicenter of the beer business. So um, I really stumbled into an amazing gig at the brewery. I was like the fourth or fifth employee there. So it was so new and so... Uh, we were such like a small scrappy team and um, Patrick who founded the brewery is in my mind one of the most genius uh, flavor producers I, I don't know if that's, no, that's a, a good if that's a real term no, but I, I might mean, have made it up I, th- I think it's appropriate kind of stopping there for a second talking about taste limitations mm-hmm. because that's what the brewery was able to do and that's what you did at Hey Rosie and within this book is that you know there are preconceptions of well let's talk about the Great American Beer Festival right. there used to be x amount of flavor profiles that you could win a medal for and now there's probably tenfold yeah so it's not just you know piss yellow beer anymore right y- you can have this spectrum of delicious craft things definitely and you know that is that's what the craft beer industry has really i think it's just it's just fun i mean these guys are just doing whatever and patrick to me blew my mind because i was i was being introduced to some really cool beers you know from the ginger man and people were doing things and they were you know 
they were starting to talk about having like coriander and, and beer and and things that had been there, but you know nobody was really talking about them. And I was certainly, you know, people were drinking Blue Moon and it was like changing the world. And then I get out to California and Patrick is making beers with Thai basil and chamomile and lavender, and I was just like, what is this guy doing? Um, and he just, you know, he changed my world in in terms of like how to how to it, that limitation that you know he he broke those limitations to me then at what point did you have enough to drink and wanted to move into ice cream oh my god um well I, there was never really enough to drink <laughs> but um i worked at the brewery for three three years there and then i you know got kind of homesick and moved back to new york and um, I continued to work for them here for a little while. Uh, I did some some sales stuff. I would do some some of that kind of um, event, host events here in New York. Um, but I knew, you know, the other thing that Patrick did for me, and in, ter- in addition to inspiring me flavor wise, was I, I really learned a lot about business um, and you know the small business industry, and I just like loved that idea. Um, and I knew I kind of wanted to do something for myself. And I, I really actually spent the majority of my time building my business plan, writing a business plan for a brewery. That was my plan was to open a brewery here in, in New York and went back and forth on it a ton. And then one day I was just sort of like, I was like, there's something like sort of off here. Like, I know I want to do this. I'm just not sure. Maybe it's, maybe it's the actual product. So, um, I kind of went back to my, my roots, which is, you know, ice cream, which that, that was the thing that I grew up being really obsessed with. And I was like, maybe I can just repurpose this entire business model <laughs> and swap the product. Find out. and replace beer for ice exactly, cream. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's pretty much what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this 120 year old program at Penn State, this ice cream course where small businesses like yours have come out of. And I, I say small, but I also mean very large because mm-hmm. you got Ben and Jerry's, uh-huh. Jenny's Splendid. I mean, this is the place to go to learn about the base. Yeah. And really beyond. I mean, actually, the program, it's funny. It's evol- I was actually I met Jenny um, uh, Britton Bauer last week and we were actually having this conversation because the program initially was developed really for major, massive companies that are, uh, you know, the Nestle's and the Unilever's that are making tons and tons of ice cream. Um, And in recent years, because of like the artisanal food movement and people really wanting to understand their crafts better, the year that I went, I mean, it was probably an equal split between, you know, like CEOs of giant conglomerate ice cream producers and like people like me who were like, hey, I live in Brooklyn. I want to like, I want to make artisanal ice cream. And they were like, I don't know how to tailor this program for both of you. So, um, but it's held every year. It's legendary as are the temperatures. Um, it was negative nine degrees every day <laughs> that I was there and we're sitting indoors eating ice cream. So that should, that should be a testament to why there's no ice cream season. Yeah. Um, sitting by the fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it did what I wanted it to in terms of, um, you know, when I was studying to become a Cicerone for beer, I was learning about off flavors. I was learning about the things that could be wrong, the defects in, in beer and things like that. And it, this was very much that for ice cream. We were tasting bad ice cream. We were tasting flawed ice cream. We were understanding like texture and all the things that were, you know, that go into it. And that's really what I wanted was that foundation. Yeah. Throwing around terms like mouthfeel and meltdown. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, gummy and short and crumbly and all these things that, you know, could be wrong with ice cream now that, you know. Well, we're going to talk about what's right with ice cream and that metamorphosis, you know, from the first firm and frozen bites to that final one nearing a liquid state. You've been listening to the food scene. We'll be right back. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you.
And welcome back to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkale. Today with Steph Ferrari of Ice Cream Adventures, the book. I can see it being a movie, a video game. Comic book. That's how I originally envisioned yes. it. I yeah. was like, let's make a comic book. Yeah. Ice cream will be the character. It'll be a hero. We'll give it a cape. We even talked about anything comical about ice cream yet. We, we were talking about the off notes before, but... I mean, let's let's talk about the on notes. Mm. You know, w- what is so good, what is so tantalizing about that first bite to the last one? Everything. Everything. I mean, I love the whole process of eating ice cream. I mean, I know we only have, you know, a certain amount of time here. Otherwise, I could probably, <laughs> like, you know, wax poetic about ice cream for the next three hours. But I love... I love soft serve. I love hard ice cream. I love the different flavors. I mean, for me, you know, the stages of it from, like... when it's hard and frozen to when it's like just about a melty pool. I mean, I was the kid that was like, you know, making soup out of it. Yeah. Enjoying that just as much. So do you still strategize when you eat? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. How do you eat a cone? (sighs) Soft serve or hard ice cream? It's, you know. Let's start with hard. Hard ice cream, it depends how many flavors, if I have more than one flavor. If the flavor has mix-ins, like... I just, I just realized I'm going down a wormhole. I was going to say, this is, this, in, this is talked about in the book a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if there's, if there's stuff in it, you know, I, I really try to give it a few minutes to warm up because I don't want to, like, be digging them out with my, you know, with my teeth. Yeah. I like to let them kind of naturally become available so, to me. <laughs> so is it even worth asking cone or cup? Because we went right in the cone. Yeah, actually. So I am hard ice cream, always cup. Soft ice cream, always cone. There it is. That's 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 a great rule to live by. That's that's my rule. So I mean in the book too, you know, you're you're split in the sections where you well first let's talk about these partners in cream. Because mm. there's nothing more than I love uh, than a couple of very special toppings. Mm-hmm. I used to and I'm not saying this in any perverted or innuendic way. I used to love wet nuts. <laughs> you can't say wet no. nuts without it sounding And I actually perverted. used to love wet nuts. Yeah. And now I, I'm already blushing even thinking about ordering <laughs> it. But since then, I've, I've developed a, you know, a taste for chocolate and a couple other things. But I could not get over reading about malted salted toffee. Oh, my gosh. That stuff is just... I mean... That took over the ice cream for in, for some people. We had to start selling it, like, in, you know, on its own because it was just absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I love malt. Malt is, like, one of my favorite flavors. Oh, oh me too. I mean, and then later on in the book, you have an Oreo and Ovaltine, which is, you know, yep. kind of malty mm-hmm. as well. Yep, exactly. And, but that toffee is, uh, the, it's, I have to really say that the, um, who I collaborated with on that recipe. Her name is Chrissy Ward. She, she perfected that. And it was, it, the salt is really what, yeah. what seals the deal. And I see that as a, a thread through a lot of your ice creams too. Mm. Salt, mm-hmm. you know, having it's and savory as well, mm-hmm. which is, um, unlike a lot of other, you know, parlors that you see. And I, I know you were saying you're a peanut butter fanatic mm. and you have honey peanut butter sauce, but then there's, mint cherry compote, lemon curd, honey mustard swirl, tomato caramel sauce, quick pickled berries. You start flooding into this zone of ice cream that I, I've never thought about exploring before. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened for one of the like sort of epiphany moments that I had was, um, my wife like is a pasta fanatic. Like she could never have ice cream again for the rest of her life, but you know, pasta, that's her thing. So we were eating, um, Kacha, uh, it wasn't kacha pepper. It was a it was a pasta with a cream sauce of some kind. And um, basically, I'm talking to her. I'm, I'm like, "Why don't you like ice cream? You know, what's the, this cream sauce is basically ice cream. If I put this in an ice cream machine, you'd have you'd have like you know kacha pepe ice cream or whatever." And and I was like, "Oh, that's you know, we eat so many cream sauces, we never consider that. I mean, ice cream at its most basic, it's an emulsion. It's you know, sugar and milk and cream and um, so." It doesn't have to be sweet. You know, you can have all these different flavors with it and make really interesting things. And um, cream is just, you know, it's just a vehicle. Yeah. And you use other cheeses as well. Feta. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen goat cheese. I've seen cream cheeses in the book. But, you know, thinking along the lines of converting something that, you know, is is in one genre, pasta, Mm -hmm. um, and then turning it into ice cream. Mm -hmm. do, Do you kind of go through categories like what snack can I make? What salad can I make? What sandwich can I make? Oh, like... Everything that I eat, I'm like, I bet this would be a good ice cream. I bet you could take, well, if you just isolated this flavor and use this, well, you can't use that, but we can substitute for this, you know, that's sort of like strategizing, like you said. Well, let's 
talk about chorizo. I'm not even going to say it again. It's such a hard word for me to say. That hot sauce, popcorn, rooster sauce, ice cream, rooster sauce, popcorn, ice cream. Yeah, so that was one of my first um, recipes for Hey Rosie. I am also an ice cream, I mean a popcorn uh, aficionado, I, if I do say so myself. Um, and I spend a lot of time researching popcorn. And Anyway, I eat it every night before I go to sleep. It's like my midnight snack. And I love to put sriracha on it, but the sriracha will wet the popcorn, makes it soggy. So I, dehi- I have a dehydrator at home, and I one night started messing with it, and I was dehydrating the sriracha so that I could make flakes out of it for my popcorn. And I had had popcorn ice cream before, and once I had these flakes, I was like, ah, I bet this is, the, this is a way to get this into ice cream without adding moisture to it. So I made a popcorn ice cream, and then I used those dehydrated sriracha flakes, and I mixed it in, and people just, like, my friends were just like, what did you do? And, I, you know, a little bit of salt and this, like, really, like, you know, um, the corn flavor of the popcorn and the beauty is that when you eat something hot people are always like oh drink milk well this kind of neutralizes the acid and the heat in the sriracha naturally because it's not, it's ice cream yeah so how often are you trying to put something in ice cream that shouldn't be that there? doesn't belong there yeah because every day i mean let's talk about alcohol i mean mm. when you're trying to build an ice cream um too much air mm-hmm. too much water and then certainly too much alcohol yep are all no-nos. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, well, there's a recipe in the book for, um, it's called, I call it, I think India pale ice cream. IPI. IPI. Yeah. yeah. And that, that speaks to that very much because a lot of people were making beer ice cream and they're like putting beer in it. Now you're adding moisture. Okay. So we reduce the beer, we reduce it into a syrup. Okay. Well, that kind of works, but sometimes it can get too sweet because now you have sugar in your ice cream. You have this like really syrupy, you know, sugary syrup. So I started to think about the components of what makes an IPA taste like an IPA. It's malt, it's hops, obviously. And hops are really, at the end of the day, it's like an, er- an herbal infusion. So rather than de- you know try to reduce a, an IPA down to a syrup, which would make like a pretty bitter syrup, honestly, and sweet, um, or try to add the beer to it directly, I just infuse the the cream with hops, sort of a dry hop method, which you know brewers do with with um, fresh hops, and then pulled some of the other you know cherry picked some of the other things from an IPA like uh, you know certain malts and um, there's a Belgian candy syrup in it, which is a um, a beer ingredient. So I went straight to the brewer's pantry rather than um, rather than trying to force the beer in and winding up with, you know, an, uh, you know, inefficient product. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let's talk about other pantries, uh, pretzel, honey mustard, which is an ice cream of yours that, I mean, that is the snack cabinet more than it is a pantry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I live in the snack cabinet. So, um, I, we did a bunch of like summery flavors once and, I love like pretzels and honey mustard and honey mustard is, you know, it's got a sweetness and, and again, it sort of works without like spicy kick of mustard. And I had been infusing pretzels into ice cream and I loved that. And it just, you know, if you, if you let yourself not, you know, if you don't think so much about it, these things really work, you know, like they're flavors that you already know and love. It's just in a different way. It's just a different vehicle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so is an everything bagel shake. Yeah, that was another attempt for me to get my wife to eat more ice cream. <laughs> she loves those everything bagels. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make you... Is she like the only person in the world that you it has to be a ploy to get her to eat ice cream? Usually it's the other way around. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, in, you know, that we we honeymooned in Italy, which was like perfect because she had her pasta, I had my gelato, and we were just like, we were, that was fine. It was perfect. Absolute bliss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Sunday construction mm. just because I feel like you, you certainly have this mind of building something in a specific way. Mm. And, you know, you, you get a Sunday and it, it definitely has its layers, mm-hmm. but there's got to be a methodology behind there. Oh, I am. Yeah, this is this is a, another subject that I can get really um, geeky on. But, you know, you have to you have to look at, you know, I work with a lot of chefs um in writing and stuff like that and the conversations are always the same you want contrast you want balance you want acid you want you know you want uh sweetness you want um crunch and texture and i have seen more sundays that become a total mess of flavors and textures and there's just like you know gloop at the bottom and um so i'm very careful about 
how to build those and what you're what you're really going for. But you definitely have to have. I love to have some like warm and cold hot fudge or whatever. Definitely textural contrast, I think, is so important. And the selection of flavors. You can't just slap a bunch of flavors together. And, you know, it's these frozen yogurt bars vex me because, you know, you go there and I watch people. I'm just like, nothing, none of that goes together. What are you doing? You can't put, you know, the Sour Patch Kids with the... You, you could know. be a curator. But, yeah. Oh, I would love that. Like, like a concierge if or someone a, would pay me to do that, I would be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> because you can go astray. Mm-hmm. I mean, even from someone who confesses their love for Sour Patch Kids... Mm-hmm. It doesn't go with everything. No, and I don't like them in ice cream either because, you know, they get really hard and, you know, certain things belong there and certain things don't. And, hey, it's a matter of preference, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in prime ice cream season right now. You know, you hear hear the Mr. Softy truck and you run for it. Constantly. What is your order there? So Mr. Softy actually catered my wedding. (laughs) Uh, We skipped the wedding cake and had a Mr. Softy truck instead. My order at Mr. Softy is vanilla ice cream cone with rainbow sprinkles. Done. Done. Yep. Easy peasy. Yep. Have, have you encountered one since being back in New York? Yesterday. <laughs> and I'm on the hunt today. Yeah, I love how you said that with such a straight face. Like, <laughs> yesterday, and that will not be the last yesterday time. Yesterday in Madison Square Park, I saw one again in Union Square. I was I was considering the second, but we did have dinner plans. So. Yeah. I mean, New York versus L.A. ice cream, there's good stuff in both places. There, so L.A. is just starting to, I in my mind, just starting to really get some uh, some traction in ice cream. But it's different. There are a lot of imports. I mean, we have salt and straw out there now, which is a Portland brand. We have Jenny's, which is really an Ohio brand originally. Um, but new place called Magpies opened up recently that specializes in soft serve, and I'm loving it. See, I, I feel like you should put an ice cream map together. Oh, that would be fun, too. Because I'm sure you get people asking you all the time, oh, what kind should I make? But also, where should I go Mm -hmm. eat ice cream? I mean, idyllically, where within the country and within the world would you be sitting right now lapping up a cone? Ferris Acres in Connecticut. Yeah. That is honestly my, that's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know recently you got to interview Jenny of Jenny Splendid. Mm -hmm. You work for this wonderful magazine, Life and Time. Mm -hmm. You know, I... Someone from the ice cream industry interviewing someone else from night. What did you ask her? What did you want to say through, you know, the platform of that magazine that, you know, people don't know about ice cream? Honestly, my questions for her were a lot of business related stuff. I mean, there are there were things in opening an ice cream business that just blew my mind when I was like, oh, this is this is a really challenging product, you know, Um, and she's been such a trailblazer and so brilliant about how she handles the business. And um, but in my mind, I think Jenny, Jenny and Jenny's ice cream are they do such a phenomenal job of of producing flavors that are just so clean and evocative and really just if they say it tastes like fennel, it tastes like like you're chewing on like it's delicious. It's just the most pure um, representation of whatever that is. So I had a lot of geeky science questions about that too. How, yeah. did, you, how did you get such intense fennel flavor in this? <laughs> I mean, is that what your ice cream is like? Are you looking for that pure form of something, or are you looking for this rounder kind of conceptual theoretical flavor? My like real interest when it comes to ice cream is trying to figure out how to make the cream really taste like something else because you can go the route of like here's a sweet cream base and let's put like a really wonderful cookie or toffee or whatever in it and we do that too and i did you know there's that in the book but i'm fascinated by how to make it really taste like something else entirely and uh you know that's another thing i think i really got in beer yeah well, I mean, how do you make an ice cream taste like salt and sand? Mm-hmm. And why would you want to eat a beach? That is one of my favorite flavors, to be honest with you. It was, I, it sounds crazy, but I love that like crunchy sand in my teeth after the day, a day at the beach. You know, you have that like salt in your, in your mouth from the, the water and you've got like some sand in your teeth and salt and brown sugar in, in ice cream and sort of folded really gently so that you don't mix in the sugar so it's still kind of crunchy with flaked sea salt in sweet cream like that to me is that was one of our best selling flavors people were really surprised i think by the fact that they liked that textural element and i just loved it see screw fireplace i want to eat that ice cream on a beach yeah double up on the sand and yeah yeah salt. i i it, i will say it's 
it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you in. And, you know, I'm going out for ice cream after this, for sure. But everyone else should go out and check out Ice Cream Adventures. Out now by Rodale. Steph Ferrari, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Big thank you to Whole Foods for sponsoring Cookies, the wonderful music at the top and mid part of this show, and David for engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.